it was challenging for me because I've always prided myself on just like leading my own way. And, and what I learned is enduring the crucibles of life is such a team sport. Mm -hmm. I would not be here today without my wife. She's, she's my rock. And she, she, you know, had insisted constantly, what can I do? What can I do? It's like, I'm fine. I don't need any help. I can do this, that, and the other. Have the mask on. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was actually kind of taken off my armor and saying, admitting is I can't do this. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a game changer too, because it was like this, the weight of the world to come off because mm -hmm. I finally knew I was getting the help that I needed. And yeah, it's, uh, it's emotional today because that was kind of the day of reckoning. All right, let's get it going. Today on 38 Challenge Podcast, we have a very good friend of mine, Jeff Harris. Jeff is a Marine Corps veteran, business executive, endurance athlete, and has one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Um, just an awesome, resilient, disciplined man. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on today, brother. Thank you, Brant, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember first time we met, we were in St. Louis, and you texted me. Yeah, you either text or LinkedIn me. You're like, hey, here's the plan. We're going to meet at uh, Forest Park in St. Louis. We're going to run 10 miles. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, shit. I was like, okay, I think I think I can do that. I was not a runner at this time. And you're like, but here's the kicker. And I was like, a what? A what? What's the kicker? And you said, every half mile, we're going to do 38 push-ups and 38 squats. And I was like, this guy's nuts. I'm in. I was like, I can't say no, I'm in. And then thankfully when we got there, you're like, hey, I'm thinking we just do five miles. And then every half mile, do 38 push-ups, 38 sit-ups, 38 squats. And I was like, I think that's a, a much better idea. <laughs> I remember that. Plus it was super, super hot. So five miles was was much more tolerable uh, in that heat. Yeah, absolutely. Just goes to show the kind of person that you are. And I remember leaving that conversation, leaving that workout together. We talked about so many things. I got to know your heart and see your heart and you got to see mine and just knew that one day you'd come on this podcast and we'd be able to to share with with everyone else just the incredible man incredible story that you've had oh thank you brant i appreciate that of course so i don't want to stay too much in in the past but let's why don't you give the listeners an idea of of who you are what you do maybe start with why you joined the marine corps and then a brief description of your um of your professional career yeah, sure. Yeah, I joined the Marine Corps in 1993. It was a, a year after I graduated high school. Uh, I had always wanted to serve in the Marine Corps, uh, and I it I waited a year after I had graduated because I just committed to my parents that I would give college a try, which I knew uh, I'll give college a try for a year, and then then I'm out. I had no interest. Uh, and when I was 17, I, I wanted to join, but you have to have a waiver. My parents wouldn't sign the waiver in case I. I you know, didn't like what I got into. They wouldn't be held accountable or responsible. Mm -hmm. So I went to college. Uh, I, I focused on, on computer programming. And really my focus was uh, going to the gym, training, working out, going to the pool, and um, getting ready to go to boot camp. And after that one year, I had signed up, came home, told my parents, hey, I'm leaving uh, at the end of May, and I'm joining the Marine Corps. And I got in. And spent four years there. Um, I lived in Japan for a year, spent a year on ship, went all over the Middle East. Um, and, and it was the best of times and the worst of times in my life. Uh, and um, I'm grateful for the camaraderie and the brotherhood uh, and the friendships that I, that I made there. And the Marine Corps really, it's a leadership development factory. And it, the leadership lessons that I learned there... I might have taken for granted to some degree, but it's where it's gotten me to where I am today with being a corporate executive and doing what I do. So I, I got out and uh, with the intent of going back in as an officer, I was enlisted. Uh, I went back to college. Uh, I studied, uh, I actually wanted to get a, a, a degree in medicine, uh, go to medical school. And so I studied biomedical engineering, mathematics, uh, did pre-med, so got two degrees. So in, you're, you're pretty dumb. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not the brightest crane in the box because, <laughs> uh, you know, Marines, we, we like crayons. Right. Um, um, yeah, so I did that and I fell in love with re the research aspect of it. And so I was applying to Hopkins and, uh, and some of these, you know, big, um, big schools for biomedical engineering to go get my PhD and got a call from a, a, a biotech company based out of Sydney, Australia for a sales role that was based in Colorado Springs for the U.S. I had no interest, knew nothing about sales, um, but I went out and visited the company and I was like, wow, this seems like a, an interesting gig. But honestly, my my intent was just to take some time off from college and go to Colorado to enjoy some time skiing, snowboarding, hiking, climbing, enjoying the outdoors, and you know, I could always go back to school. So I went there, ended up spending 12 years at the organization, um, taught myself about sales, uh, and within the first two years, I was the highest ranking salesperson in, in, in the company. And it was really just a learning about how to be curious and ask questions and build relationships of trust. And I got to travel all over the U.S. and Canada. And then uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to probably go back to school. And I was asked, hey, would you like to be product manager? Do nothing about that. Did that for a few years. And then I moved into revenue enablement, um, took over uh, sales operations, uh, global support, and um, uh, was mentored by somebody who had come from uh, big pharma, big med device on growing and scaling sales organizations. And uh, so I ended up staying there for 12 years, constantly got promoted, got to do a lot of amazing work uh, in countries all around the globe. And so I, I had a lot of fun. And at leaving there, went into a med device company based on Houston as their chief business development officer. And I was really responsible for strategy, um, sales, marketing, OEM, um, and um, I got into the scaling up methodology and helped to kind of get that company going in the right direction and had a lot of fun, also focused on leadership development with them. And then I left, went into consulting uh, for Sales Benchmark Index, SBI. It's a boutique consulting firm based out of Dallas, and um, they're like the McKinsey of sales and marketing effectiveness. And it wasn't too long after I joined them, then I was unfortunately diagnosed with a rare disease, which I know we'll get into, left and uh, eventually started my own consulting firm, uh, just a solo project of being a, the turnaround guy to mm -hmm. go in and serve as an interim executive. I've served organizations as a CRO, COO, CFO, CEO, and it's typically you no know, contracts, three, six, nine months, maybe a year to go in and either turn around or scale up an organization until they can get, you know, somebody else in there to, to take over. And uh, I've, uh, you know, it's leadership is it's a it's a practice. It's, um, you know, you can read all the books you want on swimming, but eventually you're going to jump in the pool and realize it's a whole different experience. And it's the same thing with business uh, and leadership. You can read all these books, you can get your degrees, but at the end of the day, you have to put it into practice. And it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You have to be willing to get your hands dirty. And I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. And my goal is going into organizations and leaving the people better than I found them and working my way myself out of a job by growing and developing the people. That's really what I do. Yeah, and I want, I want people to understand, you know, the kind of drive and, and tenacity that, that you have. And obviously your your professional career is a great example of that what is the if you could point to one endurance fleet that you've that you've done what would be what, which one are you most proud of um i think the the thing i'm most proud of enduring is 365 days of living on liquids yeah um and that was due to a rare disease i would die i was diagnosed on christmas day 2018 with a disease called esophageal achalasia. It impacts one in 100,000 people. Uh, essentially, it paralyzes the muscles and neurons of your esophagus, uh, which prevents peristalsis. So when you swallow food, the muscles and neurons of your esophagus push that food down into your stomach, and there's a sphincter at the top of your stomach that opens so the food can go in, then it closes so no acids come back up. Well, it also causes a severe stricture in the lower esophagus, and so think about trying to swallow, you know, through a garden hose, but then that size has been diminished to the size of a cocktail straw. And that's what happened to me. So for an entire year, 2018, I was constantly sick. I constantly was coughing. Anytime that I would lay down, which was every night, I would cough and choke until eventually I would just vomit food. Every day when I got up and got in the shower, I would cough until I would just vomit. And I noticed like my food 
it looked like I had just chewed it. So it was never going into my stomach. And so I saw a doctor after doctor and it was the same, it was the same report. You know, you seem pretty stressed out and it looks like you have acid reflux. I'm like, well, I'm stressed out because I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't keep mm -hmm. any food down. So yeah, I'm pretty stressed out. Well, this disease, disease is so rare that we just didn't catch it. So I ended up, um, uh, it got so bad that on Christmas Day, I actually collapsed because I just couldn't take on any water anymore. I couldn't take on any food. Anytime I tried to chew anything, I just equated it to pain because I knew as soon as I swallowed it, it was probably going to come back up. And uh, I could hardly breathe. And so checking into the hospital, uh, doctors learned that my esophagus had become completely compacted with food, had distended four times its original size, and fluids were essentially draining into my lungs and killing me. And they gave me 24 hours to live. And the only reason why I, I really pulled through that was I was an athlete leading into that. I ran every day. I had done a Murph two days before, even though I could barely breathe just mm. because it's what I do. I like to train. It's I find tranquility in doing hard things. It's, it's my meditation. And um, so I spent 10 days in the hospital, uh, had a, a procedure, an upper endoscopy to clear out my esophagus and was sit home. And I thought... I was put on a liquid diet of just protein shakes, V8s, uh, things like that. And um, me being, you know, a hard-charging Marine and a, a knuckle-dragger, I was just thinking, oh, well, it'll take 10 days and go through this liquid diet and I'll get to eat food again. Well, mm -hmm. that wasn't the case. So I saw a specialist and uh, they tested me for cancer because this disease is, is, is pretty susceptible to getting esophageal cancer, which is definitely not a good thing. Uh, told me, hey, good news, you don't have cancer. Bad news is you're going to have to have surgery uh, and you need to stay on a liquid diet. I was like, well, what are we talking about? Like a week or two? You know, how long till I have the surgery? I'm like, well, it's going to be three months before we can get you in. So that was beginning of January. The surgery was scheduled for April 17th. And, um, so, and three, I, so at this point, you were going to be on a liquid diet for three months. Exactly. Exactly. So there I had an end in mind. And um, at the same time, I was told you'll never eat steak probably again in your life. You're never going to have a piece of pizza or a piece of bread. And, you know, I was already hungry because it's, it's the holidays. And so I go home and, uh, it, as anybody probably would do, it's like, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to let myself process this. Mm -hmm. Don't build up the emotions. It's like, and that night I kind of had a victim mindset, you know, poor me. And, and the doctor's like, yeah, you, you shouldn't have any alcohol with this either. It's really going to impact that as well. And I was like, I'm, I'm having a drink tonight after what you just told me. I was like, I really don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. She's like, you can have one drink. I had several. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but then I made a commitment. I told my wife, I was like, you know what, tonight we're going to go. I was like, it's, it's, I'm going to have a low. And tomorrow it's like, it's a new day. It's like, we're going to figure out a path forward. Meanwhile, I couldn't lay down and sleep in a chair because if I lay down anything that I drank during the day, I would aspirate. And so I had to sleep in a chair sitting up. So my hips went out, my back went out and recovering from aspiration pneumonia, I had no lung capacity. So I went from hero to zero really, really fast. I went to, I couldn't even, I could barely walk up the, a flight of steps in my house. And so I was just kind of confined to like a chair in the basement. And we had, it was a terrible winter. We had a lot of snow and I would sit there as my family would shovel the driveway. The kids are out there and I just felt useless and thankfully had great neighbors who would offer a hand and I just had to um, figure out a path forward mm -hmm. uh, so so what was that you mentioned when you got back and you had a couple of drinks and you allowed yourself to have that low moment what did that low moment look like yeah that one it, it probably wasn't the lowest um, you know it was it, it was one of those things it was, I had to think well I fasted before, you know, I've been through some schools in the military where I fasted, you know, only maybe a few days to a week at a time. But here it's, you know, I have to think about what can I be grateful for? It's like, well, I, I get to have access to a blender. I get muscle milk, you know, it's um, I get to drink, um, you know, different protein shakes and stuff. And granted, I couldn't just picking up a drink and drinking it isn't like a normal human for me to drink, you know, at eight ounce glass of water it could take me a half hour to do it because I got to sip it because of it's kind of like trying to drink through a titration device because it's just dripping into my stomach through this tiny little hole and so if I drink it too fast my esophagus would fill up and they, the doctors actually did different tests in these machines where they could see that I would take a sip and my esophagus would fill up and I'd feel like I was choking and just start coughing um, and so I had to drink sip really really slow so it just took I had to start early in the morning 
just drink. And so I'd add a weight gainer and, and things just to get cal- max calories as you can uh, in order and, and add different things like athletic greens to get the right nutrients in me and just sip on it slowly as possible um, to get through the day. Uh, but that wasn't the lowest point because um, leading up to that, I, I, you know, I, I wa- some of the things I had to do was I had to step away from my new consulting role mm-hmm. that I had strived to get just because it was too hard to travel and be around food. And your brain uses a massive amount of calories. And I know some of our friends who are listening to this would like, well, Marine's brain probably doesn't use as much. Um, but uh, I know who those people are. Um, but but anyways, um, and so as a consultant, what's your superpower? Your superpower is to outlearn everybody. And and the things that you're paid to do is you're, you're paid to listen, ask questions, and to listen, you know, attentively uh, throughout the day, ask questions, and you're paid to make you know, crucial decisions, it's exhausting. And so I'd have to time whenever I would have, you know, start drinking protein shakes or have some apple juice just to get that sugar rush to be able to have my brain function at the, at the level it could. Uh, but I walked away from my consulting job and I was just like, hey, I'm going to take some time to learn how to do this. And it was a few weeks later, I got a call from a former CEO I had worked with out of New Zealand who, uh, who had, had a struggling SaaS company, a tech company, who needed help uh, with turning around sales, marketing, client success and stuff and, and really going international and asked me if I want to step in and be CRO for a few months just to get, get things going. I was like, I told him my story. He's like, I'm not really, you know, in a place to do that. And he's like, Jeff, I know you. He's like, if you have a purpose, it'll take your mind off the fact that your kind of life kind of sucks right now. And you'll, it'll, it'll help keep you busy so that you keep you out of the kitchen, you know, you know, trying, reminiscing about, oh my gosh, are are you feeling sorry for yourself that you can't eat? And you'll just focus on solving problems. So I thought about it and it's like, you know, I'll give this a shot because I could do it remote. Mm. And uh, so I did that for three months and I was like, if I do this for three months, then I can have my surgery and go on with life. But the real low part didn't happen until I got a letter from insurance. It was around April 14th or 15th, a few days before my surgery was scheduled that said, we're not going to cover this uh, medical procedure. Um, It's such a rare disease and the procedure is so rare. And if you don't agree with this, you can file a claim, you can pay for this outright yourself, or you can file a claim, it could take up to six months. And, uh, and so I thought about it and initially, you know, I was, I was, I was enraged because I had thought I'd been very patient. I played the game. I had crossed, you know, dot all the I's, crossed the T's. I had learned how to adapt and improvise. I went from 195 pounds to like down to 160, 155, but I learned how to maintain with what I was doing. And, uh, and now there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And so my wife asked me what I wanted to do. I was like, you know, I want to battle this. I want to stand up. I was like, we have the financial means. I was like, this is a test of, of leadership. It's a test of grit. It's, it's, it's about human dignity because if they're doing this to me, they're doing this to other people. Mm-hmm. I end up connecting with a lot of folks with Accalasia. And it's like, this, this is not right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost kind of like you're just a number. I'm a case number now. And so we, um, and that was, that was really the low point. And that's when I actually learned to be vulnerable because up to that point, I tried to do everything myself. And at that day is finally, you know, when I kind of had to take a knee and ask my wife, it's like, look, you've been asking how you can help. I need your help. I was like, I'm too close emotionally and physically and mentally to, you know, starvation that if I, uh, that I can't really have a, can't have a productive conversation with people in health insurance because, um, it would kind of make my spirit animal rage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and for those of you listening, uh, you know, we have a joke at, at my office and it's, it's kind of a question, you know, what's your spirit animal? And I see this often in, in things. And, uh, Mine is the Incredible Hawk because I'm, I'm <laughs> literally the calmest person in the world, nicest guy until I'm not. And yeah. uh, when you don't eat food for a year, you experience levels of hangry that are probably incomprehensible to most people. Mm-hmm. And my spirit animal, in order to tame it that year, it's that's when I really started leaning into doing even harder and harder things uh, just to take out my frustrations, which is why I'm the athlete that I am today, uh, just because it enables me to kind of tame the beast right and i can i can you know understandably see you getting emotional right now which um what did what did that vulnerable conversation look like with your with your wife and how how difficult was it how how powerful was it how important was it 
Yeah, it it was challenging for me because I've always prided myself on just like leading my own way. And and what I learned is enduring the crucibles of life is such a team sport. Mm-hmm. I would not be here today without my wife. She's she's my rock. And she she, you know, had insisted constantly, what can I do? What can I do? It's like I'm fine. I don't need any help. I can do this, that, and the other. Have the mask on, yeah. Yeah, and then that was actually kind of taken off my armor and saying, admitting, is I can't do this. Yeah. And uh, and it was a game changer too because it was like this, the weight of the world had come off because mm-hmm. I finally knew I was getting the help that I needed. And yeah, it's uh, it's emotional today because that was kind of the day of reckoning. Dude, yeah. So, no, I, I, yeah. So yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about my wife and 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 um, and how how much her support through that and through the years has helped me uh, to get to where I am today. It's um, you know, it's and and it was about having the courage to be vulnerable and just say yes, I need your help, and telling my doctor yes, I need your help, I need you to advocate for me, and getting on the same team, and then we went to battle. And so, and from that day forward, it was a team effort and, uh, it was nice. It was great because I could focus on my day job. I ended up, um, turning around multiple organizations, became pretty hugely successful as uh, the interim executive turnaround guy for international organizations. Uh, and it wouldn't have happened if I had this disease, I'd be working for a consulting firm, you know, just mm-hmm. a, another cog in the wheel. Instead, I was out doing my thing. And uh, enabled me to focus on what I could do for me, which was optimizing my nutrition intake. And I learned how to adapt and revise. And it was never easy because my esophagus would get clogged. If I was stressed, it was even harder, uh, which when you're CEO of a company, it, there's, there's no easy day. It's always stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I was able to focus on me and then all of the paperwork and all of the challenges with getting my procedure approved was my wife was tackling that and and I trusted her with that and I could just serve as a thinking partner you know whenever she needed on things and enable me to take a step back because at the end of the day when you're starving literally to death and you have somebody looking at you saying well you've adapted fine you know you haven't been back to the hospital and it looks like you you know you've learned how to improvise and live life on liquids seriously like go after yourself you know it's um i can't even i can't even imagine and and honestly going back to that day of reading that letter from insurance and having the the plug you know pulled out from under me Mm -hmm. it was it was a real dick punch and i i was in a bad place i went and worked out for a couple hours just taking out my frustrations and uh but then it was just like okay well now what do i got to do it's like all I can do is I can lean on my faith. I can focus. I can just focus on the process. I got to literally let go of the end game because I don't know when this game is going to end. And ended up going for 365 days. I didn't need another bite of food until Christmas Day 2019. We battled health insurance that entire year. We went through, I believe it was three rounds of appeals. And then I was off in New Zealand uh, for a month in September is when we finally won our case. And uh, not only do we win our case, but the, the procedure's been approved for anybody with this disease. So I think that's really what the significance is of this story is it wasn't a success for me. It was significant for anybody who was suffering from this. Mm-hmm. And in and, and September, I received a call from my wife. She was super excited. We won our case. And by then, I, had, I really had learned a lot about patients because I wasn't the most patient guy. And, um, and so I was excited, but I didn't know how to, like, show my excitement um just because i had been in this forever and i'm like okay well when's when's the surgery it's going to be in mid-november and so i'm like okay it's september and so immediately what do you have to do it's like you just got to breathe and be mindful and focus on being present because when you're in that type of situation and you're in this darkness if you start focusing on how far you actually have to climb to get to the top of the mountain you're probably not going to get far you know, because it seems overwhelming. And so you got to just focus on one step at a time. It's literally for me, it was one day at a time, get up. How can I, what can I do to try to get this protein shake in me? And it got to a point where it was so painful to even drink. My esophagus, it got so torturous. It felt like somebody was stabbing me in the chest almost 24 seven. And so I'm dealing with that pain. I'm sleeping in a chair. I, um, 
I go to sleep at night, but you never really sleep because if you, whenever I go to sleep, you know, you, you, you create a little bit of saliva and you start to swallow. Well, I couldn't swallow. So I just cough and choke and just aspirate. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, one of the, the crazy things that happened is I, I grind at night and I wear a, a night guard, but if I wore that night guard, um, that mouth guard, it would create more saliva and I cough and choke more. So I stopped wearing it. And throughout that year, I ended up grinding away my gum. So afterwards, in the, the two years I follow, I've had three gum grafts. I've had multiple teeth replaced because, so say you, um, you know, you pour, you pour liquids into a pipe and the pipe is clogged. You know, you pour, pour like a protein shake in there and it just sits there. What's going to happen? It's going to start to decompose. Well, as I poured protein shakes in my esophagus, they, was, they wouldn't necessarily drain. They would coat the walls and it slowly started to decompose. And my entire mouth was just covered with this like white, nasty tasting, like, I don't know what it was, my tongue, everything. And I had like the most terrible breath. And so I'd, I'd, I had got all this stuff from my dentist to, to scrub it, like wash it out and stuff, never changed and um, ended up rotting away, you know, parts of my teeth. Uh, so I ended up having three gum grafts, all this dental surgery that was just kind of uh, residual effects, the consequence of not eating. And suffering through that and it was great because once I finally had that final surgery and I could swallow again all of that went away like the next day mm. and it was like it could finally clear so every day it was a reminder every time I looked in the mirror just like and opened my mouth I was like oh my gosh don't let me breathe on anybody it was because it was literally like my insides were decomposing right here because nothing could drain out Holy yeah. Shit. yeah it was um, and then and so I want to tell more of this story because there's things I've never told uh, to anybody, uh, I mean, yeah, I, it's literally, and I know, I know you personally, so you'd say there's, there's, you know, things that people have, um, gone through that are worse, but like, this is literally like, this is hell, man. Like what you were going through was torture and I can't even imagine, like I get me, me watching you remember all the things that you went through like makes me emotional as well but i know that there's stuff that like you said you haven't spoken about so what were some of those demons that i can't even imagine you were battling during this time yeah it's a it's a great question there's um you know when you look at food food is a catalyst for human connection it's how we connect with people across cultures when you take that out I literally felt like I was living on an island of psychological isolation, psychologically, physically, emotionally. It's, it's hard to connect with your family when you sit down at dinner and there's placemats around the table and you don't have one for a year. And so you also, I, I didn't want to be in that environment. And so I would just go for walks a lot. Uh, and I, I finally was strong enough to be able to, to sit with my family uh, and, and enjoy dinner. And, and I also knew I, I had to be able to operate. And so the first time I went to a grocery store, you know, you surround, it was like the movie um, Castaway with Tom Hanks. He's on this island and he's surrounded by coconut trees and he has all of this seafood. And you're thinking, wow, that's terrible. And all I, I would watch that movie, I'm like, this is a dream. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I would love to be this guy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this guy, this guy's living the dream. At least he had a, at least he had a uh, volleyball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, uh, so it's a matter of perspective. And I knew how to operate. So I just kept going back to, the grocery store until I could get groceries, I could buy groceries and just let it go. Just accept reality that, Hey, this is, this is life as it is. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you go for a bike ride, say you have a dog and you, you put a chain on the dog and you're going on a bike ride the dog has a couple options. He can either try to run the different direction, run backwards. You know, it's, it's not going to be a really good time for him. Or he could choose to sit there and get drug along. Or he could choose to just run along with the bike. And the same thing happens when you're dealing with uncomfortable times and dealing with pain. You have an option to kind of be like that dog. Just say, I'm just going to run with this. I'm going to run with this and just kind of meet it. Because as you fight it, it actually becomes more and more challenging, more difficult. And so uh, you got to lean into that discomfort. And it actually makes it a bit more comfortable uh, to, to make happen. But yeah, dealing with the isolation part, because... At the same time, I was, I was appointed CEO for an international company that needed to be turned around. I was about to go out of business, and I'm responsible for employees around the world, multiple offices. Uh, that's a whole nother story as far as how complex and challenging that was. And so I got the stress of that 
leading a, a company through a crisis. Meanwhile, I'm going through my own crisis. And the hardest person to lead is yourself, quite honestly. Do you have any tissues here? Uh, do you have any? Yeah, go grab some. Um, but, um, but to me, you know, when you're – and I spent I spend a lot of time in the mountains. I spent a lot of time alone. I had morning gratitude walks. I do a gratitude journal every day. But motion changes emotion. So I'd have to walk and just start and spiral outwards. What am I thankful for? Go and start with myself and my family, where I live, my job, my career, all that stuff. And now it helped to change my mindset, you know. Um, but I had those dark times where I'd be in the mountains and, you know, just – wondering if I could go go on and it's like am I such to me it's like I, I wanted my wife to live a normal life to build a god and have dinner with her husband you know and I wasn't that guy we could go out but I just you felt like a burden yeah I felt like a burden yeah. you know it's like because I have to be in the right mindset to be able to tolerate to sit there uh at the same time and and try not to make it about you but you also starving you know the smell of food is this intoxicating combination of hope and hell when you can't eat and uh, it's there's no easy days, you know. I look back at it now, what what I accomplished. I try not to because it kind of haunts me, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I had those dark times, those dark moments where I thought, hey, just jump off this cliff and I'll end myself, or maybe I'll just you know drown myself in the lake, or maybe I'll take this nine millimeter and put it in my mouth and pull the trigger because, hey, I won't be starving anymore. Uh, but those were the dark times, and I had those thoughts, you know, throughout that year, which I have never talked about to anybody. Because I'm human. Yeah. You know? uh, everyone would have those thoughts. Yeah. I had those thoughts. And uh, and so what I had to do, though, was I uh, had to remember how far I had come. I had to remember my purpose, my why, and remember all the things that I was grateful for. And remember, it's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm a father. It's like, I get to be here with my kids. I get to be a father. I get to be here with my beautiful wife. And I don't want to leave that. Uh, and so, so yeah, I've, I've had those, those, I had those dark thoughts during that time, uh, which I think anybody who would be going through that, you know, would, would probably be the same. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was super challenging, um, uh, to, to overcome those and just act my way out into a better place. And that's what I had to do It's like, okay. You know, motion changes emotion. And so my thing was when I had those bad thoughts, which would really come at night, you mm-hmm. know, not sleeping, coughing and choking, and you're laying there and, and you feel like a zombie, you know, because you, you can't sleep. And it's it's almost, you want to sleep, but then you sleep. And if you happen to drift off to dreamland, I would just dream about eating food. And then I'd wake up scared that, oh my God, because if I swallow food, it would get clogged and it would cause aspiration. Like, hey, I might not be so lucky next time. And so waking up was like waking back up to the nightmare. And so the only relief I would get was if, if I didn't have, you know, too many shakes or too much liquids and actually drained, I could get some, you know, some good sleep and I, and I would drift off to dreamland into this, you know, this Mecca of, oh my gosh, I get to eat all this stuff. And then I'd wake up and you'd wake up to the smell of bacon or eggs and you're like, oh my gosh, here we go. Dude, I can't even imagine like two points one i think so many people deal with thoughts of suicide and i think that your circumstance there's not a single person on this earth who wouldn't wouldn't have those um and the fact that you were able to to go through this is I'm honestly at it. I'm at a loss for words. What, what were the tactics that you would use when you were going through these, these dark times? Like what are, I know you, you focus on, on gratitude, but you know, how did you, how did you withstand this literally living in, in hell? Yeah, I, um, I was the most productive person on on the earth probably that year. I got more done than any anybody because uh, if I was idle, then I would have you know the dark thoughts and I would have been you know immediately you start feeling how hungry you are and you 
You do adapt and improvise your body changes, and it's really the mind that needs convincing. And you have to remind yourself as, because I, I would count. It's like, oh, hey, today is day 220, you know, living on protein shakes. And it wasn't always having shakes because I would get clogged up. And I went for the last few months, I would go get an IV every few days because it was so um, it was so painful to just try to swallow anything. And I was so dehydrated. And I, I didn't stop training because it, that was my release. That was my the, my release, my frustrations. And it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest thing, but I would still I would just go and embrace the suck, go for a run. It was a light run because my legs would be shaking. Mm. And I ended up getting down to well, I'll tell more of the story and I'll tell you some more of my tactics. So we won our, our case uh, finally, you know, after all these these rounds and um uh, um, I, on November 10th, I was told I have to fast for seven days in order to have the surgery. Fast for seven days on, on clear liquids. So I was allowed bone broth, which has a lot of sodium, so you can... I feel like uh, that was a walk in the park. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> seven days, bone broth, Pedialyte, and apple juice. I was like, oh, okay, hey, this is all I got to do, and then I have the surgery, and boom, Thanksgiving. Well, I, have, I wake up from the surgery, and uh, I'm super excited. Hey, hey, what, what happened? They're like, it wasn't successful. It was like because the bone broth that you've been drinking... And the Pedialyte had caused a lot of gunk and discoloration in your esophagus, so they couldn't do the surgery. I was like, so what do we do? Like, we need you to fast for another 10 days and come back. And so I was, I was deflated. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, this was in Denver. I live in Colorado Springs. It's about an hour and a half drive. So I just told my wife, hey, on the drive home, I'm going to let myself seep in my sorrows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably, you know, have some choice words. And when I get home, then I'm going to lock it up. We're back on point. You know, it's... We, we got to get back on this mission. And so, um, and she was pretty devastated as well because, you know, she'd been there battling the yeah. whole time. And so, uh, that, that time goes by, I go to have a second surgery and I've been drinking apple juice Well, the apple juice wasn't draining properly and it created this crazy sediment, you know, just like rotting on my esophagus. So they couldn't do the surgery and I wake up and my wife is pretty devastated and I, I was, I didn't know what, what to say. And, I just sat there and the doctor came and I was like, so what do we do? And he's like, Jeff, there's, we can really only try this like one more time and you're probably going to have to have a feeding tube. And uh, I was like, well, how can we make this next surgery successful? And he's like, well, I can't order you to do this, but I could, I can recommend that you volunteer to go NPO, no liquids via mouth uh, for seven days. I'll sit you here in the hospital. We'll hook an IV up to you. And that way it'll allow your esophagus to drain, heal, and it'll keep it clear and we may have a chance to actually have a successful surgery. I said, okay. I was like, all right, I'll be back. He's like, what do you mean you'll be back? I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get my computer, get a stack of books, and I'll come sit here in this hospital until, until this happens. And so I did. And, um, and then uh, oh, that, that time passed, had the surgery. Uh, a few days went by, and uh, they gave me a, a clear liquid protein drink to drink to, for a test after I'd been through a lot of other tests. And what used to take me probably 30, 45 minutes to drink, I was able to gulp down in like eight seconds. And it was it was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, so I was sent home, super excited. And I was on clear liquids a few more days as it healed. And then I was able to go back on like Ensure and Muscle Milk. And then on um, Christmas Day, my doctor told me, hey, I want you to try scrambled eggs. You know, your test results look really good. So I was able to sit down and break bread with my family and have on Christmas scrambled it yeah so it was it, it was the best Christmas present ever you know to be able to do that and uh, it's interesting too because people are like wow so you just go and like eat everything well my stomach had shrunk I had no gut biome and so the parts of the store I have a powerpoint of this a lot of grad now I'm gonna mess with you yeah. uh, but uh, um, you have no more gut biome and I also had lost my whole facial structure had changed I'd lost like my jaw muscles had atrophied and so to chew like a small portion of scrambled eggs, my jaw muscles were just like wore out. And this is soft food. And so I, I was on a diet of scrambled eggs every few days and uh, protein shakes for about a month. And it was great because I could swallow it and I got to lay in bed and sleep. I got the best sleep ever. I was sleeping again, uh, was able to start training again. And, uh, but at the same time, in order to build my jaw muscles back up, I started chewing a lot of gum. Well, what some folks don't know is uh, if you chew an excessive amount of gum, there is, I forget what the, uh, what nutrient is in there. It can cause, uh, 
kind of extreme diarrhea. So everything that I would drink, uh, I was on the toilet like five minutes later for about a month. Plus I was taking a lot of different things to kind of build up my gut biome. And so it was about a three month process of just slowly introducing, you know, cheese, had eggs, avocado, and eventually I think it was um, on Easter of 2020, I was able to have crab meat and then I started eating tuna and fish. And so to this day, I drink a lot of shakes still, uh, eat soft foods, um, which which are fine for me. I don't look at it as I don't get to eat steak. I look at it as I get to have, you know, a highly nutritious, very limited palate, but it, it fits my lifestyle. It keeps me energized. Food is just a means to an end uh, for, for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it there are, there's no cheat days. Like the year I went, I haven't had a dessert since like 2018 because the year that I was drinking protein shakes, it's not like, hey, you can just go out and have a burger and, you know, have a piece of cheesecake. And so you get to used to not having that and realize that you actually don't need that stuff. Mm-hmm. At least I don't. And so um, my dessert now is mixing up protein uh, um um, powder into like a pudding and heating it up in the microwave for 20 seconds and to me that's that's the best thing since sliced bread it's it's awesome uh, but yeah that um the tactics I had was gratitude journal working out um, I journaled a lot I wrote a lot uh, and I was never one to take the victim mindset I, I look at playing the victim card is like playing the get out of responsibility card it's like, I'm never going to be that. I'm like, I'm going to, I embrace the time as an opportunity to really learn and grow and also to test the limits of human potential, which wasn't up to me. Um, it was, it, you know, it was like, hey, here's the card I was dealt. I want to see just how hard I can push it. And so I went out and climbed mountains. I, I, I was told by doctors, don't travel because it'll be so hard for you not to eat because travel, it's like, what do you, what do you think of when you travel? It's like going out to eat and stuff. And I don't even think about that to this day. Even coming to Austin last night, it's not even the top of my mind. I just, I landed and I'm like, I bought a muscle milk because I know that's what I'm going to have for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think about that stuff, um, which that that's a different part of life, you know, that some people might say miss out on. But to me, I get to be here, you know, and that's just a small part of it. Um, but yeah, uh, other tactics I had was um, I... I have a Montrino feed the good wolf, which you know. Mm-hmm. And so every day before leading up to that, I had a lot of really good habits around gratitude and, and my training and reading. And I never stopped reading. I read more books that year than I probably ever did. Um, I, um, I constantly watch and listen to motivational videos on YouTube, and I still do to this day because to me it was about feeding the good wolf. And the one thing that I really leaned into was just serving others. And... As a consultant, obviously, you know, you, you built for hours or projects or have retainers. But my thing was just who can I connect with? Who can I, who, who, who I have in my network or not in my network that I can reach out to, that I can help mentor and grow to become better just by pouring into them without any, um, I don't want anything in, in return. All I want to do is be able to pour into them because being able to pour into other people would keep my mind off of how much my life actually sucked. Mm. And it gave me a purpose. Yeah. And so I spent so much time just on Zoom or on calls or with people just to try to add value and inspiration to their life while never mentioning what was going on with mine. And that was really helped me to, you know, to endure that year because it gave me a purpose to mm-hmm. serve a higher good instead of turning it all back on me, you don't want to make every story about you. And it's hard too, because you show up at a business dinner and it's always the same as, it's like, Jeff, you never eat. It's like, oh, I'm good, I'm not hungry, I'm just gonna have this glass of water. Uh, you know, and eventually your story comes out and people want to talk about it. And I didn't, I was like, I want to focus on you. I want to focus on having conversation generosity, get to know you, how I can help you. And that helped me to yeah, really endure that year. So yeah, by, by serving others, you are serving yourself. And yep. you hear that all the time, right? It's really hard to be, and I felt this in my own life, it's really hard to be sad and depressed when you're helping other people, right? It's, it is the best way to be happy and to experience joy is through helping other people. And here you are, not have had a, a bite of food for 365 days, forcing yourself to focus on other people because you knew that by helping them, you are also going to help yourself. Exactly. Yep. And that was a, that was a big part of, of that. And that hasn't stopped. 
that is one of the great pleasures I've had, and I've got to network and meet so many amazing men. Even here we are today, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we're sitting here today a lot of because of that story and, and what I went through, and and also helped me to realize just like just hey, connect with folks. Everybody has a story, and I've been I've been fortunate to mentor a lot of folks with cancer, with achalasia, with other rare diseases. And if you message me on LinkedIn or Instagram, I'm going to get back to you as soon as I can. I'm mm-hmm. going to set up a call. I'm going to set up a meeting with you. Uh, you know, I want to get to know your story and how I can add value to you. Uh, because I, I belong to a lot of different um, support groups whenever I was going through this. But I find that victims pander to victims. And most support groups is about the poor me. And they really kind of pour kerosene on that little fire. And I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not pandering to the victim mindset. It's like I'm. 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 That's. That's not. That's not what I'm about. And that's not gonna help you to get through that as, as at all. Because like I said before, it's like, your get out of jail free card. I'm not responsible. It's like no. You have to, step. You have to own your journey. You have to look in the mirror and realize that that competition in life is staring back at you. And it's up to you, uh, to really be resourceful, to be vulnerable, to have the courage. Hold on to your character. You know, and every step that you take forward is really up to you. You should not rely on everybody else. You're going to need a team of people around you. But at the end of the day, it's um, you have to own it. You have to own this thing. And I looked at my disease as, you know, as like this invisible um, nemesis. But I was focused on, I'm going to give this disease a voice. That was That was my goal. And I've been able to connect with... Uh, I was able to connect with a team of of, post, uh, of graduate biomedical engineers uh, down at Georgia Tech back in, I think it was towards the end of the pandemic, or end of 2020, who were building a prototype device for this particular disease. And it was great having worked in that device for as long as I had. Uh, they had found me through social. It's like, hey, we'd like to interview you. We um, just want to know what it's, you know, we want to learn more about your journey. And as I learned about their project, I was like, I've got some th- I've thought about this for a for a long time, got mm-hmm. a lot of time on my hands, and uh, um, there's there's a video on social about it, and they're a really cool team. But it was great to be a part of of that. But going back to the victim mindset, I remember they posted this video about this prototype med device and bringing med device to market. It's a long process, but the whole idea was to create hope within this community that there are people who are thinking about this disease and what can we do to be able to you know enable people to swallow food again. And within a few minutes, it was taken down from the group. And, uh, and the whole reason, and I was kicked out of the group was because I was always posting that super positive, hopeful things. And when you're going through hard times, you know, it's like you can never lose infinite hope. You know, it's like the Stockdale paradox, but at the same time, you have to confront the brutal reality and facts of the situation. But what can you control? You know, the next step, you know, it's like you can control your attitude, your effort, your faith. These are the things that are in your control. And those are the things that I looked at constantly is like you know it's like attitude is the most important choice that I have to make and I didn't always have the greatest attitude in life and that year really forced me to have a more positive outlook I thought it was positive until that year I was like to have a more positive attitude uh, a better attitude of gratitude um, uh, to be more intentional to be more mindful and the big thing was being patient you know there's a great quote uh, you know nothing hurries in nature but everything arrives and um it's it's so true and i think for the longest time in my life just because of other challenges that i have with neurodiversity is uh i've not been the most patient person and that i i find that i'm just way more patient now having integrated um meditation mindfulness into my life because of that year and i'm grateful for it it's like the lessons that i learned that year and continue to trans transform my life today um, I'm, I'm super grateful. I wouldn't, wouldn't be the person I am today. And I got a long ways to go. We're always growing, but, um, looking back at it, it's like, I haven't told this story in a while and it's, it's, there's a reason cause it, haunt, it haunts me. Um, it's, uh, but at the same time, you got to look at whatever you're going through. Everybody has a story. What if the, the story you're living is meant to serve as somebody else's survival guide? And what's the most powerful form of leadership is the example we set. And so I took, I looked at my that that year as I need to set an example of what can be done for other people. Yeah, man. And the fact that you are able 
to show this level of vulnerability and to allow your story to be a light for others. I think, I think two things. I think on one side, you don't have to go through what you've gone through to experience thoughts of suicide. You don't, your brother doesn't have to have taken his life for, for you to be depressed and anxious, right? You don't have to go 365 days without food in order to deal with life struggles, but you are looking and listening to a man who endured all this for a year and was able to focus on gratitude and focus on service of others and focus on the things that he can control and taking one step at a time and that is the blueprint for how he went through it and it just goes to show that anything in this life will pass everything will pass this is not wherever you are right now will not be the future and it will all work out how did you manage to keep taking those next steps when I know the first three months without food you you thought that you could you could see the top of the mountain but then after that it seems like you probably couldn't see out of the tunnel what are what are your advices for just people out there who are in that dark spot who can't see the light at the end of the t- tunnel how do they keep taking next steps yeah that's such a great profound question and um, as I think back on that year there was a lot of things that I told myself it's often the story we tell ourselves and uh, one of the things I would tell myself uh, regularly was you know in order to get to the top of the mountain it's you, you have to grow to be a, a, a certain type of person and so I tell my wife you know as one door was shut another door was shut wake up from a surgery that door was shut wake up from another one that door was shut to me I would tell myself in order to get out of this tunnel and to see the light of a new day, I haven't grown to become the person that I'm destined to become. And so whatever it is, whatever it is that I have to endure more, maybe have to be, I have to be stronger and firmer with more conviction in my faith. Maybe I need to help more people and serve others. Maybe I need to be more grateful. Um, maybe I need to be a better father. Maybe I, I haven't I haven't been able to achieve this growth yet because I haven't you know finalized the turnaround of this organization and really served this team to the best of my ability. And so I would fall back on this is an opportunity to continue to grow. And that was my mindset was I would just tell myself it's like you're not there yet. All you can do is focus on the process and keep growing and and keep striving to get there. And um, I know it may sound odd or simple, but it was, it really was the, like the, um, the overarching theme that I, I had, I had um, created within, within my psyche that year was I knew, you know, if, if I were to um, be patient, hold on to my faith, hold on to my character, uh, focus on serving others and to just do this relentlessly day in and day out that eventually that door would open or something else would happen and um and my thing was uh don't don't lose sight of it you know it's like hold on to that faith that something's going to happen but i would go back and put myself into the perspective you know it's like um you know the story of victor frankel which you've talked about on here before and Mm -hmm. um, people are familiar with it's like at the end of the day you know it's like we all have a choice and um, and I looked at it as you know I look at his story and I look at folks in uh, you know concentration camps and hardly any clothes they're freezing they're starving you know people are, are being killed constantly people are dying just because they, they give up and uh, and like life was terrible and I look at okay well what do I got going on for me it's like I live in a heated house I have an amazing career I have a beautiful family I have carpet under my feet. I have a warm bed. I have a, you know, I have a blender that I can blend up. Per, I blended everything that you can possibly imagine, by the way. Um, it's all never good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but uh, I have these these means. And if I had lived in a different time or if I lived in a different country, I may not be so fortunate. And so take advantage of the situation of the resources that you have around you and, and just keep fighting the good fight. You know, it's like, you know, what's to say? You're never out of the fight. And I'd have to tell myself that constantly. It's like I wake up another day. It's like, okay, 
I'm in this fight. I have an opportunity. I'm here again. Uh, you know, it's like the door's not open. What can I do? It's like I can control the controllables. I can be mindful of the present moment. I can just focus on maximizing this day to the fullest potential possible. And, um, and my thing was staying super busy. Like I said, it was I was so, so, so productive because, you know, it's like you don't want to find yourself in the kitchen cupboard or open the fridge at 11 o'clock at night and start mm-hmm. feeling sorry for yourself. It's not going to be a good thing. And so I, I got to the – a lot of it, too, is your environment. I ended up living in my home office uh, most of that year just to be isolated uh, from, from anything and everyone. And when I went through my 40 days of my clear liquid fast – I chose, I never was at a restaurant. I never was around, you know, family meals or anything because I had to keep myself completely focused on the mission. Uh, and that was that was one of the most challenging things, but also the most spiritual parts of that whole, because, you know, faith isn't faith until it's all you have left to hold, hold on to. And you've gone that year embracing the suck, you know, starving. You got these intense pains. You can't sleep. You feel like a zombie coughing and choking all the time you got your esophagus essentially rotting food uh, decomposing in your esophagus and coming out your mouth your teeth are are rotting out and um, you know you you don't have a whole lot going for you and um, and I forget where I was going with that but uh, you know well yeah I mean it I can imagine because I think isolation is so dangerous for it's it's detrimental to your mental health for you the only thing that because you in a lot of circumstances or in a lot of ways to survive you had to isolate and during that isolation you had to reach and you had to find the spirit you had to find faith you had to find things that are going to continue through these times because without them how could anyone survive that exactly yeah and and to me I don't think my faith was ever as strong as then as those 40 days because it was all I had left you know at that point there was it's crazy. And Nothing th- else to hold on to. And you think about Jesus in the desert without eating for 40 days. And, yeah. <laughs> and I have he, a new respect. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. crazy, man. So, yeah, I just keep thinking about that. Like 40 days fasting in the desert. And you had to fast for 40 days. Not saying you're Jesus. You're not. No, but, no. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> But the reason he did that is to get closer to God. Yep. And, and, and yep. And to show that the only the only way to get through something like that is through faith. Exactly. And my pastor told me that after I had endured it all and came out the other side, he's like, "Never forget how you felt on that fortieth day, because you'll never be closer to God than than you were probably at that moment in your life." So, as we begin to wrap this up, how did vulnerability get you through this year of not eating food 365 days without solid food how did vulnerability get you through it 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 was it was it was the key because um as i said before you know enduring the crucibles of life is really a team sport and being vulnerable and being able to put my guard down and be able to ask for help and it, it helped me too as as a leader you know to uh, you know, and, and that's one of the things I stress now is, uh, as a leader, you should never be the smartest person in the room. And if you are, don't be. Ask the questions, draw it out of other people. And at the end of the day, be the last one to speak. And then if you do have all the answers, maybe just ask, uh, hey, can I throw out an option here so that you don't appear to be the genius in the room? Your job is to be the genius maker. And that's one thing that I learned through that was uh, it's okay to ask for help for other people. It may be a better coach. It may be a better executive. It may be a better father. Uh, made me a better better husband because I realized that you know marriage is is it's a really a team effort and um, and there's no way that I would be here with without you know my wife um, helping me but there was also it was it was it was being vulnerable to share my story when I needed to to different folks you know whether it be at church or with other folks with who are struggling with the disease in order to help them instead of just keeping it to myself and and i became fine with it and and it was never you know the the poor me story it's like hey you know it's uh find out what somebody's going through it's like i feel for you it's and then be like 
how's your life? How's things going? It's like, oh, I'm just going. There's, these are things I got going on. And I'd just be positive about it, you know, and um, as, as much as I could. Uh, but it was able to have the courage to be vulnerable to share and also to share whenever it wasn't going so well. And it helped me to build this emotional resilience. And it helped to improve and elevate my emotional intelligence. Because the one thing I learned is if you go around thinking or saying to yourself you're hungry all the time, well, to me, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in this state that is not changeable. And so I learned how to reframe the message and tell myself a different story. You say, my wife would be like, how are you doing today? It's like, I'm currently feeling a state of hunger. Because if I would put it in that state, I'm currently feeling a state of hunger, then it's it's something that can pass. Mm-hmm. It's something that can change. Mm-hmm. And so it enabled me to channel my emotions in a different way to be able to say, how are you doing today? I'm experiencing a state of frustration and I'm trying to get through it. Yep. And so just so you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a, uh, I'm on a level one to 10, I'm a nine and a half, I turn into the Hulk. And so I could, uh, <laughs> I'm going to need a little space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really helped me to be vulnerable, to share what I'm actually going through. Because if you can name, you know, the emotions that you're experiencing and be vulnerable about it, then you can actually do something about that to help alleviate it. And it's, you can't just tuck it all away. You have to be able to express it somehow. That's a healthy thing. But instead of, you know, you have a choice in how you, instead of just reacting to respond. And that year helped me to be able to respond more calmly about what I was going through and also to help me to, um, uh, you know, take those emotions and express them in a more productive way. And that's one of the things, you know, like the things I've, the training that I've done since then in the endurance challenges, a lot of it was to, has been to express the emotions uh, that I went through. And initially, you know, I know you had a, a, a great podcast with our friend Super Frenchie a few, a few days ago. And, um, you know, he had mentioned something about, you know, not necessarily wanting to be a hard motherfucker, but being a serene motherfucker. And it, initially, that was my thought process. Like, I just want to be super hard. I want to show the world, like, you know, I, I can be like a David Goggins. But actually, that's not true. It's, you know, the things I do are just to compete against myself. That's the competition in the mirror. It's to prove to myself I can do things because... To me, training is building that emotional resilience. It's building mental toughness. That's and I'm not one to like go out and race against a bunch of people. I'm I'd rather go out by myself. It's like I find tranquility and do on hard things. But at the end of the day, it's like I'd rather focus on being the calm, patient, most you know serene dude that you can possibly find as well. It's like that's really my mindset and my mantra uh, now. And I think um, I'm vulnerable to say that. You know, it's like I'm I'm comfortable being um you know i don't have to be the toughest guy in the room the smartest guy in the room i don't care about any of that stuff oh. uh, i'd rather be mindful and appreciative of whatever's happening um, oh yeah man warrior in the garden that's right so if you could give one one piece of advice to someone who was at the point mentally where you were at not saying that probably anyone listening to this will be in the point physically where you're at met mentally people are at a point where they don't think they can keep going where they feel like a burden what would be your number one piece of advice to them let's say call somebody uh get some help uh confide in others be vulnerable uh be able to share what you're going through uh there's help out there and um, don't try to tackle what tackle what you're going through alone. Uh, there, there's people that care about you. Uh, there's, you know, there's there's a ton of resources. Uh, and and like I said, it's it, whatever we're going through, no matter what the scale of it is, whatever mountain you're climbing, you can't do. Look at any mountains out there. You know these these giant, you know peaks. None of them are climbed alone. People, it takes a team effort, and it's the same thing in life. We're all here, you know, to help each other. And, um, and, and that's, I think the, the biggest thing is, uh, is, is get help and, you know, it's whatever you're going through and there's, um, there, there's no easy days, obviously, but if what I learned through my process is if you stick to a process, if you do what's necessary long enough, the impossible, it will eventually relinquish its throne and you may not know when that time is going to be, but guess what? that throne is not going to give itself up by you single-handedly time trying to tackle it it's a monumental team effort and be vulnerable to confide in others for help 
because mm-hmm. that's that's what's going to get you the furthest. So immediately, stop trying to be the Lone Ranger, the Rambo. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, it takes a team. Agreed. Well, thank you, brother. That was, I learned so much from you. And when I am feeling sorry for myself or, you know, for me, when I, it's hard to get out of bed or I'm doing a brutal workout, I think of you and I think of your story because it is one of the most inspiring, challenging most heart-wrenching things I've, I've ever heard and you you are an amazing man so thank you thank you Brent. it's a pleasure to be here brother last last question for you what does what does the 38 challenge mean to you oh yeah that's good man um to me it's uh it's a reminder i'm staring at your brother's jersey here um the 38 challenge to me is a is a it's a it's a reminder of vulnerability. It's about you know as as you say so we suffer so others don't, and um, to me it's about it's about team and that's the one thing I, I admire about the events that you put on, is the camaraderie the group effort. It reinforces some of the things we we have mentioned here today that going through hard things is a team event. It's uh, it's about calling upon you know, your friends, your family, your mentors, others who have, have gone, you know, down these dark paths and realizing that you're not alone. And so to me, the 38 challenge is, uh, it means hope in a, in a time when, you know, we're all, str- I wish I would have known if this was around, you know, back when I was going through my, my ordeal. It's, um, to me, it gives hope. It's a reminder too, because I, I still have my days. It's like, you know, obviously, some of, some of the things I went through still haunt me to this day, um, but to me, this is a reminder of um, of the hope that we can set for each other, and that there is there is a path, there is uh, um, there are resources, there are people that care about what we're going through, and uh, and and that you can just make it a little bit longer just by getting on the phone, uh, getting with a group. And remembering um, your purpose, your why, in serving others, and uh, and also you know the purpose, and um, and that life is so much bigger than any one of us, and it's um, it's we're all here for a reason, and so remember you know and don't take your don't take yourself out of the equation because we're all here um, uh, to make each other better, and to to live for each other. So the thirty eight challenge is. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's the light uh, that that so many of us need um, in order to keep going. Thank you, brother, and keep being a light for the rest of us.